It is good to be with you guys. I'm Joel, one of the pastors, and um, it's just fun because we just keep walking in a series called Forward Faith. And we're in James chapter 4 right now. Uh, This is the last week in James chapter 4, and we're going to be able to tackle some of the passage here in James 4, 13 through 17. But first, I want to just, I want to take a moment and speak with you about something. Um, Something that is important to me, something that's important to the leadership of this church is called life. Um, You saw maybe a church-wide email even went out this previous week. You've got some information in the bulletin there. Um, And we are certainly a church that believes because of the love of God uh, that he loves everyone, even if you've been through horrendous conditions and horrible circumstances, our God still loves you. Isn't that good news? Um, And because of that, belief in who God is and his love for all people, we want people to choose life. We, we won't lie to you about that. We're very honest about it. Um, but I also want to make sure that everybody hears this. Every single person in this room is loved by the Almighty God. And even if you have walked through some really difficult situations in life, um, you, you may hear pro-life and you're going, uh, there may be some of you who had an abortion. Uh, we got serious really fast today, didn't we? Um, and I'm here to tell you that that's not, I don't believe that's what God wants, but I can hear to tell you also God loves you. And anything that God has been given, he can use for his glory. Anything. Your hurts, your pains. isn't Our God is a God of redemption, renewal, and promises, and hope, and life, and eternity. That's our God. He is not a God of hate. He is a God of love and power and strength. And so maybe there may be some of you on a journey right now going, you don't understand. I have, um, I'm having a baby right now and I don't know what to do. We always have at least 50 ladies pregnant in this church. That's one thing you'll learn very, very quickly. I'm here to tell you that we'll walk that journey with you no matter what your circumstances. We will walk with you and stand with you and fight with you and support you in radical ways. Because God can redeem anyone from anything at any time. That is the power of God. So please know that. No matter where you're walking in that journey. And remember his love for you. So, James. James chapter 4. We're going to tackle this. Um, Anybody here... Love making plans, right? Okay, I'll put it like this. I'm going to, before you even raise a hand, because this is, we're going to have some class participation as we typically do. Um, if, if you make a grocery list before you go grocery shopping, raise your hand. Okay, that's the majority of you. Well done. That's called being prepared, right? I always have a list of usually about eight items, and then I bring home at least 200. <laughs> Everybody who laughed is like, you relate. Right? My wife's like, no, you spend so much money. But I'm like, but I'm always full. And, you know, I just feel really. Now, it's one thing if you make a list. Who in here, though, you make a list, and the list that you have is broken down by the aisles of the store that you shop in according to the area. So you've got a freezer section, and then you have, like, a bread section. You may even have, like, a gluten-free section on the bread section that's on your list that you're compiling, and you have your fruit. How many of you break it down that way so that you have to walk as few steps as possible? God bless your spouse. Right? 
No, those are people like, I think that should be, I don't even know if uh, Todd Cox is a guy who helps with a lot of the hirings and stuff that we have around here. I don't even know if he's in this service or not. We need to include that on a survey and a questionnaire for anybody who works here. If we're looking for somebody detailed, just say, how do you make your grocery list? Because if you're that particular about your grocery list, I can only imagine how detailed you're going to be about some other stuff. And we like to make plans, don't we? And so whether it be grocery list or anything else, and um, some of you go as far as you know what you're eating for like the next two weeks every night, and so your orders are based on that. Well, that means we need 2.4 pounds of chicken. Anybody, of the, any of those wonderful, amazingly detailed people here? Um, aw. That's what I, aw. Um, wow. We like our plans, don't we? We teach it young. Hey, my kids, they've got a list. They'll make lists of things that they want to do that day. Um, if we're going on a trip, they'll make a list of the day of what they want to do every day. We like to make our plans. Not long ago, I asked one of my kids, my youngest, I said, hey, what do you got planned for today? And he goes, I'm building a fort. I go, well, what else? He goes, it's going to be a big fort. (laughs) So he was making his plans that day. We all like to make our plans. In fact, not only does it start at five, four, three years old, seven years old, 12-year-olds are going, hey, I'm going to go to Jenison High School. I'm going to go to Hudsonville High School. And here's the reason why, because I think this or that. And I'm not going to get into all your preferences about which high school is greater. Um, and, and some of you are going, okay, I've got to make plans for if I want to go to college or go to technical school. Or do I just want to jump into the workforce? And if I'm going to go to college, it's going to be here. Here's the type of degree I want to have. And then we get out. And some of you who aren't even, even out of high school yet, you already know at what age you want to be married. Here's the people I love, the people who plan the number of kids they want who have never had a kid. In all love, I would like just to say, that's stupid. (laughs) Right? And then you have other plans that go with it. Then you're like, okay, well, then I'm going to be married by this time. I want to have this many kids. And anybody who's had kids, just let me get and tell you, can, can I get an amen to the fact of give up the rest of your life as soon as you have a kid? Amen? That's probably the most discouraging thing that we could do to the parent who hasn't had a kid yet. Those 50 women who are pregnant right now. But God can redeem everything. (laughs) That's what I need to tell you. Um, It's just so much fun to have the kids and to have all that, but you don't know how that's going to really go and the life that that brings. Some of you are going, and you're planning even more detailed. You want to work at this uh, firm or at this company, and here's the reason why. Or you want to be retired at a certain age. And so now you're making financial plans. Um, I'm 45, just turned 45 not long ago, and I plan on retiring at 46. And we make plans, I'm not retiring. You're stuck with me. And you look at all this and you go, wow, what's taking place? Some of you even know not only when you want to retire, but you know the exact amount of money you want to have, and so you meet with your financial advisor. And I met with mine, and I was like, hey, this is what I like. And he just laughed, he's like, God is big. Um, It's like, really? Um, And you've got plans. And you want to retire, let's be more, maybe a little more realistic. You want to be 62 when you retire so you can play golf the last third of your life, and and that's okay. But God's got a lot more for you. So we have plans. And that's really what this message is about is we make plans and we know what we desire and it's really about your view of God. I'll give you a quick summary of the passage right now and what the text is really saying is if you think 
that you live life so that God can jump in and just do whatever you desire out of your life rather than thinking that your life is serving the Almighty God, you're messed up in the brain, in the heart. The transformation, your understanding of who God is and what he's really done for you doesn't register. And so we have to start thinking about what our plans are because what, as we know, we speak about it frequently here at CP, is that a lot of times we, we have our own idea of what our plans are and then we just expect God to, to make those happen. And if God doesn't make our plans happen, then he's not a good God. You have the wrong understanding of a God. He's not here to serve you. You're here to serve him. There's a big difference. And so you have to start thinking about all this stuff. And you have to go, okay, well, but, you know, if God gave me this desire for life, isn't it, if this is from him, then shouldn't he make this happen? And, right, and we start justifying stuff and we struggle. And, uh, listen, when it comes to plans for life, whether they're your plans or whether they're God's plan, um, I, I think there should always be attention. A healthy attention, right? We speak about the guitar string. If it's too loose, it plays nothing. If it's too tight, it snaps. You want to have that healthy tension so that it can actually make good music. And this is an area of my own life. I, I, I'm always kind of evaluating, are my plans really serving God or am I asking God to serve my plans? And knowing the difference, it can be hard. It can be difficult knowing the difference between those two. So I get it. You have goals for life. You have plans for your life. That's okay. But I'm here to tell you that God's plans for your life are greater. And are you willing to even process that, to truly consider that? So how do we do it? That's a tough thing. How do we do it? So here's a, here's a passage. You already know I, I'm going to throw out lots of different passages of Scripture um, and I'm going to ask that you write those down. This is one I'm going to just really, uh, if you don't write it down now, it's okay. I'm going to ask you again to do it later, so you might as well just get out of the way. You know the passage, hopefully well, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord is declaring, I know the plans I have for you. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Why? Because nothing is more characteristic of a Christian than a desire to do, to do the will of God. One of the greatest characteristics of a Christian, of a believer, is to do the will of God, a desire to do the will of God, to live that out, to sacrifice self, to sacrifice worldly standards, to live according to godly, to biblical standards. It's one of the greatest characteristics of a believer. They wake up in the morning and they go, I want to do the will of God. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be a struggle, and it's going to even go against what my natural desire is at times, but I want to do the will of God. It's one of the greatest characteristics of a believer. And you have to, is that really your wiring? Is that where you're standing today? I'm going to give you some other passages about the will of God for you to write down. Psalm 48. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do the will of my God. Yes, his law is within my heart. Do you delight to do the will of God? Or do you go, oh, God, why are you making me? Why are you asking me to live like this? I want to live like this. Which really means you don't believe that his will is greater and that he has greater plans. And so you'd rather just reject it and get upset with him for asking you to do something you don't want to do. That's called pride. It's called arrogance. Another passage, Psalm 143. So Psalm chapter 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. 
So now here's the psalmist coming in, and he's like, listen, I want to do the will, yes, but teach me to do the will. I don't know how to do the will of the Father. I want to know how to do the will of God, so teach me that. Put that on my life. Put that in my heart. If you don't understand the value of it, the importance of it yet, um, I'm going to give you a couple passages from Proverbs. Now, James and Proverbs, um, they're, they're somewhat parallel to each other in terms of the way they teach. All right, and, and the instruction that they give for a believer, for someone who loves the Lord. Um, in Proverbs 16.9, Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Another one that really uh, I, it gets me excited, Proverbs 19.21. Last one for you, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of man. But it is the purpose, the will of the Lord that will stand. It's the will of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Right? Guys, plans aren't bad. I'm, I'm sitting there talking about the message I'm preaching the other day with some of the pastors, uh, Pastor Jim, Pastor Luke, and others. And we, we're, all of a sudden, everybody starts rattling off. Well, plans aren't bad. You know, you look at different people in the Bible. Right? They made plans. Solomon made plans to build the temple, and we started speaking about that. And you look at other people as well. David made plans for battle. You've got Paul making plans for his missionary journeys. It doesn't mean that the plans are bad, but if the plans aren't incorporating God, then you're in dangerous territory. God's plan, here's one of the primary things. we just gotta, we got to let this sit. And, and I pray that you know this, believe this. God's plan, God's will is greater than your own. Maybe a good question to ask that comes along with that is, do you believe that, is God big enough for you? Is God big enough for you? If God is seen in an appropriate manner, then you recognize his enormity, and so you want to fall under that and submit to him. James, right? We talked about that not long ago with submission just a couple of weeks back, submitting to God. And so if he's big enough, you're wanting to submit to that. If, he, if you have a small view of God, then you actually think he's here to serve you because you're the greater. You're the greater. You're what matters. Yeah, there's 7 billion people. There's billions before us. There'll be billions to come after us, and yet you're that important, so God should just be here to serve you. And all of this is seen. You can measure it. You can weigh it out by how you're making plans for your own life. Again, plans aren't necessarily bad, but if you're not weighing them against the will of God, you are in a very tumultuous, a very dangerous place. And so this is the, the big gist is that we need to live life. We need to plan our lives surrendered to God. We need to plan life surrendered to God. And that includes friendships and marriages and, and career and work and, and the, the, where we live and where we choose to go. And when we retire and if we ever retire and you'll never retire from doing the work of the Lord. We need to plan life, live life surrendered to God. The definition, I want to share with you the definition of surrender. To relinquish possession 
or control to another, to relinquish possession or control of, to another. And so we're giving up that control of saying, this is how I've, I've already got it all mapped out. You don't understand. I know I only have to take 3,212 steps to go to the grocery store for the next two weeks because I've got it by the aisle. And I know where I'm walking, and as soon as I have to go from aisle five back to aisle two because I missed something, I know that I didn't, I didn't plan well enough. And we can laugh at it, but that's some of us in life. And we get caught up in that. And as a result of getting caught up in that, we don't even recognize that when we're walking from aisle five to aisle two, we pass a woman who is in the midst of so much pain and so much hurt, who is begging for anybody to put a hand on their shoulder, to give her a hug, and to pray over her. And we walk right past it, disgruntled because we didn't get our plans played out perfectly when we miss an opportunity to show someone the power of Jesus. So I want to give you a few ways that I think this passage helps us to make plans that are surrendered to God, to plan life surrendered to God. I want to begin by reading this passage. It says in verse 13 and 14, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this city or to that city. Spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's a, it's a mist, a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now listen. Now that means also in other translations it's come on now like, or, or hey, hey, check this out. Like, listen up. Pay attention to me. He's calling and he's trying to get their attention. I know um, I speak sometimes about the family ad meetings that we have. Um, when I when I get my family together, I say, kids, I need everybody to come in here and sit down. And if I say it like that, they'll go, uh-oh, we have to sit down. Because that's different, right? It, it carries a different depth, a different thing than if I just am walking by into the garage and say, guys, make sure you do such and such. Well, no, there's a difference when I say, guys, we need to sit down together. We need to talk about some stuff, family admin meeting. There's a different weight to it. And here, if you actually look at the Greek, he's jumping in here and he's saying, listen up now. Okay, come on. Hang on a second. You, you need to process this. You're making plans for your own life to, to go on business and, and to make money. And I get it. Some of you are off to China this week or, or maybe Colorado or wherever it may be. Or even if it's driving across the street to the uh, state to the east side. And you, you've got different plans. Or maybe you have to go and teach somewhere else. It doesn't matter. You're making these plans. You've got to go make money. You're planning life. But here's the thing. Your life is like a vapor. It's a mist. It's, it's so short. And you're making plans without me. You're foolish. Because what you, what you just did by doing such is you said your life, understanding that it's just a mist, it's a vapor, it's going so quickly. And yet all you're going to do is make plans around that small life rather than the enormity, the eternity of God. What you're saying is you're okay with giving your life to something smaller than it should be given to. That's what you're communicating. And some of us are okay with that. Just You're thinking, Pastor, you don't understand. I just want to live my life and be left alone. And I would argue with you, you don't understand the, the, the fullness of what God has done for you in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Because if he were to leave you alone, you would have no chance at redemption. So we process this. You also understand that our life is so incredibly short. I just had uh, 
my third child down here, she just turned 10 on Friday. Um, really? I didn't do that in the first service. Um, she's 10, and the other day my wife's thinking, just think about it. Three of our kids have to have two numbers to tell people how old they are. And I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, that's true. Get over it. Um, I, that's my thinking, and she's just going, but it's, qu- it's quick. It's like it's gone so fast. It's gone so quick, and before you know it, I told her, I was like, man, it's going so fast. We're going to have grandkids before you know it, and then great-grandkids, and then she's crying, and it's like, I'm like, I'm sorry, and I, but it's going quick, and so if you only give your life to what your plans are, rather than trying to understand what God's plans are for your life, you're giving yourself to something way too small. And you have to, are you okay with that? We weren't created to simply live for self. We were made to live with the attitude and with words that reflect God. Ask yourself that question. Every time you speak, are these words about to, are they going to point people to God? And if the answer is no, try not speaking. Because even in the way in which you speak of business, even the way in which you carry yourself, it is to reflect Jesus Christ. And some of us have separated that. That's a different category of our lives. And so we go, well, no, that's just different. That's not about what this is. And so I I love the Lord, but I just got to do this and get it over with. You're supposed to carry Christ into everything. Knowing that we're a vapor, a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Our life is fragile. Our time is short. So he's saying, make plans for the eternal. Don't make plans for the temporary. Make plans for the eternal. Make sure you're giving yourself to God. Make plans for the eternal. It's something we speak about eternal versus temporary all the time. Why are we okay with making plans for the temporary? When we know how brief our life is, it's a mist. It's going to go away. So we have to make plans for the eternal, and we have to strive for this. We have to run toward this at all costs. And he's making sure that they understand and they process it. The second thing, I want to just keep going, is we need to make plans seeking God's will. We need to make plans seeking God's will. And I want to expand upon that a little bit, because here in this passage, 15 through 16, chapter 4 of James, it says, instead, all right, so he's saying, Instead of just making your business plans and staying here for a year or there for a year, instead of not recognizing how quick your life is, what you should be doing is saying this. If it's the Lord's will, we'll live. If it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or do that. But as it is, if you keep living in such a way where you're making, this is what he's communicating, all right? This is a soft commentary of making sure you understand what he's trying to communicate. What he's saying is instead, though, if you keep living as though your plans actually matter, even though you're not considering God's plan in that. It's as though you're boasting in your own arrogant schemes. And yet we know that that boasting, all such boasting is what? What's it say? Evil. So he said, hey, listen up. That's the beginning verses. Make sure you recognize that if you keep chasing after self, which is way too small to begin with, you're actually boasting, and boasting is evil. Are you okay with that? 
He's helping us to understand and to have a true view of who God is. In other, words, in other words, it not only matters that you have a right view of life, but you need to have a right view of God first so that you can build your life upon that. What we need to be saying is, hey, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to live. If it's the Lord's will, I'm going to do this over here. If it's the Lord's will, I'm going to do that. It doesn't mean you can't make plans, but you need to be asking yourself, how are those plans reflecting Christ? Who you are at work tomorrow, how are you reflecting Christ? There is no compartmentalizing anything in your life apart from Jesus Christ once you have surrendered to him. And it should mess with you. And for people who have never done that the whole life, you're probably listening to me going, I don't like what he's saying, never coming back here. And, and what I'm telling you right now is if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he didn't come and say, hey, you keep your own life for yourself, and at the very end I'm going to help you out. He says, no, I want all of you because I've given all of me so that you can have eternity with me. There's no compartmentalizing any aspect of our life from our faith. And so we need to make plans seeking God's will. That was the struggle that you see even um, Luke chapter 12. Rich farmer dude who like all of a sudden, here's what's happening. There there are these brothers and they come and and the younger, it's known in that day and that time that the oldest son would receive double the inheritance from the younger. And the guy's upset about it. And he's asking Jesus to come and to, to intervene in that. And he's like, I'm not going to arbitrate with all this. I'm not going to get in the midst of all that. I'm, I'm not going to play part in all that. He goes, because here's the kicker. And he tells us in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Why? Because that's temporary. And so he's saying, listen, this is really about you coveting. That's not going to solve anything. Because here's a guy, he's like, all you're doing is building bigger barns. You're just, you're just collecting more and more wealth, more and more for yourself. It's not even about the money. It's about self. That's what it's about. And you're just going to keep living in this way. You need to make plans seeking my will, not your own will. And so he's communicating this because he's, he was materially blessed The land produced, and God continued to show blessing, but the man, in response, all he did was build greater barns, bigger barns, and start planning for an early retirement. And he's going, no, that's not what it's about. Here's the right view of God and the right view of life. If the Lord wills it, we live. If the, the Lord allows it, this is his, that is his. We are fully surrendered. And so we need to make plans seeking God's will. Because anything else, if you're doing anything else, he he just refers to it as being foolish. go Go to a friend, go to a family member, go to a colleague and say that you trust, that it says that they're a believer and say, how do you see different different areas of my life reflecting the Lord? How do you see my job being used by God? I don't think that automatically means if you can't answer that he wants you to change jobs, he may want you to change the way in which you perform your job. And so you start asking and having, having some honest dialogue. That's why I say people who are spiritually mature invite accountability. Some of you just don't want honesty, and so you're not willing to ask the question of anybody else.
third thing, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I wanted to bring it back because I think it's, I think it's an appropriate message when you look at James chapter 4, verse 17. The other thing we need to do is we need to do the godly until our heart catches up. We need to do the godly. And again, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but he, still James, right? He's going to carry similar themes throughout. This is what the passage says. It says, in, he jumps in, he says, if anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Now, this is a sin of omission. A sin of omission isn't about doing something that's wrong. A sin of omission, what that means is it's not doing something that you know is right. That's a sin of omission. It's not that you've done something wrong. It's that you know that you haven't done something that was right, that was godly. So he's jumping in and he's saying, listen, you know that this is what you should be doing. You should be incorporating me into everything or even better yet, making sure that the way you live is a reflection of who I am, but you're just choosing not to. That's a sin of omission. You think that you can just ignore it and it's going to be okay because this is just how life is. And he's yelling out, no. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. Not incorporating God into every part of your life is sin. Letting him determine your plans. Yes, we still have to make plans. Again, I'm not saying this guy thinks that we should just live every day the way we want to live. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is let God direct it, instruct it. And if, you, if you're making plans and you can't say how God you believe is, is guiding you to make those decisions, then I think you need some better accountability around you and you need to seek God out better. I can tell you, even the transitions my family has made in terms of moving, we moved here. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to come to Michigan. But we then heard, we, I just knew God was yelling in my ear, you're going. And I said, ah, it's cold. And God just, all of a sudden, he sent me a coat. <laughs> Seven of them. And, and I'm still cold. And, and I'm just going... Wow, it's just about what God wants, what his desire is. That's all that matters because our life is fleeting. It's vapor. It's a mist. Make plans according to God because his plans are greater. That's what we're doing. We're making plans here. Again, plans are okay. We've made plans. We've got a building coming. We need it now. And we know that. But we, we made plans before we had spent a lot of money. And then after we had made our own plans, God said in 2016, no, it's not time for you to build. And so we said no. And said, no, I, I don't think we're healthy enough. I don't think it's what God is wanting. And then later on, and I think God honored that. And, and God said, okay, now it's plans again. It takes time. We need to have plans. But those plans are, have nothing to do with us. They have to do with the kingdom of God. And it should be the same in every part. No matter what you're speaking about, it should be the same in every part. Why? Because your heart follows what you value. I want to give you a couple of things. And that can help you start learning more about what God's plan is for your life. I'm gonna give you a couple of just practical, do these two things, and I think it could help. And the praise team's gonna come back out. But I'm gonna ask that you do two things. One, maybe you get that phone back out. Uh, Josh and Lane were up here saying, put January 31st on your calendar, day of fasting, 24 hours from 5 p.m. until 5 p.m. on that Friday. Please join us for that. You'll get more information. But for this next week, I'm asking you to put on your calendar every day at noon to pray Jeremiah 29, 11. I mean, can you not do that? 
for one week, every day at noon, say, God, he says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And just use that to say it, look it up. Maybe it can help you memorize it every day by doing that. But saying, God, what is your plan for my life? Because my plans are too small. And you just say, my plans are too small. God, what, is, what are your plans for my life? And you just start praying and you allow God to start speaking into your ear and your heart. You're inviting God to show you a greater picture of what your life is to be than it would be without him. Every day at noon for the next week. And just see what God starts to do. Another thing I'd like to invite you to do is to encourage three other people to pursue God's will. I mean, you have a conversation. Hey, um, just want to know what God's wanting for your life right now. Like, what's that looking like? How, how's God using work in your life right now? What's he doing that with relationships there? How about with your family? What's that look like? And you can just encourage others to do such. That should be an easy conversation for us. I know that for many it's not, but it should be. To walk up to someone and say, hey, listen, can we talk about the will of God? Because that's so much cooler than talking about our will. Because ours is like a mist. It's a vapor. It's going to go away. But his will, it means eternity. I'm all about that. Let's chat about it. And so I just, I'm asking you to do those two things. Every day at noon, read through Jeremiah 29, 11, and start praying for God's will in your life. To see what he instructs, what he guides. And then second, to encourage at least three other people in what God is wanting for their life. Surrender to God. Surrendering to God, let me, let me, I'd like to st- restate that. Let me, let me put it like this. The greater picture you see of God, the easier it is to surrender to him. Small God, small sacrifice, great big view of God, and God, take it all, I don't care. Some of us have way too small a picture of God. You don't really need that much help, but in case you do, it's in your back pocket so that you can go to heaven one day. You don't get it. It's damnation without Jesus Christ. That's the only other thing. It's either you're with God or you're against God. You're faithful into Jesus Christ or you're not. You believe in him or you don't. And it's a fullness, like there's no, like, oh, I'm just going to give a little bit. It's either all or nothing. And that's why it's important for us to recognize that because we get to share in communion this morning. And it's a reminder for us of how much God gave, how much God did for us, and then we get to respond to it. You know, it's um, when we took on, when, when Christ took on our sin, it says he's the Lamb of God. He took everything. He was, he was, he was gutted for us, spit upon and beat upon But when we recognize what he's did and what he's done for us, then all of a sudden we have a life that is unlike anything else we've ever known. Our marriages start to look different. We treat our spouses and our friends and our colleagues differently and because we see everything in the lens of the forgiveness and the grace that we have received. And so it's symbolic for us. The bread is symbolic of the body that's been broken. The juice is symbolic of the, the blood that's been poured out. 
And I just want, I want to give us an opportunity. The leaders are going to come forward right now, and we're going to do it different just because of the people and our aisles and everything else are smaller. So we're going to, we're going to pass out to you guys today. And the prayer is that you just reflect upon what God is doing in your own life and ask yourself this, is God big enough for you? Do you serve a God big enough, great enough to be worthy of you surrendering everything? Even your plans.